Hello and welcome to Soft Spoken, a podcast. I am your host, Marfine Chan, and I want to welcome you to the third episode of the podcast. It's a milestone, so let's celebrate. You know, they say third time's a charm, so this is the third time that I'm putting out an episode of the podcast. So uh, I'm hoping for good vibes and, and good energy and, and, and good karma to, to come back and to fill uh, this show, you know, I hope that it's truly been helpful for for all of you to help kind of settle things down and and uh, settle you into a contemplative uh, and and um, reflective mood as you wind down your Sunday evenings. You might have noticed a pattern in the last two ep- episodes or a number of themes that I've been hitting on related to modernity and work and and life balance and taking care of yourself. And so I wanted to continue on that um, by reading uh, from my book, Moon in Full, A Modern Day Coming of Age Story. It's a memoir I wrote uh, about my life from ages zero to 21. And in it, I do talk a little bit about, you know, some of the work that I did in high school specifically but also some of the challenges I had. And so, um, but before we, we go there, here's, here's something that I, I want to uh, uh, play for you that you might remember, and, and so we'll talk about it afterwards. Get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. So you might remember that from a few months ago. I think it was a few months ago, but she got a lot of... Uh, commentary on it shall i say and i think it was a lot of it was justified you know kim kardashian came from a successful family uh, that was wealthy and, and living in beverly hills not one of the cheapest uh definitely not one of the cheapest uh areas to live in and she had a lot of advantages growing up and wealth and access and resources and networks. And so I played that because, you know, I know that for a fact that the opposite is totally true. People are working and they're working multiple jobs just to make a living. And a lot of the jobs that people are forced to take on the side, even if they have a full-time job, are, you know, service uh, jobs or, or jobs that, you know, require uh you know skills obviously but also i think kind of kind of uh compartmentalizes and strips apart uh, different aspects of of human um behavior and human initiative and human uh, uh passions that make tend that can and, and tend to make work fulfilling and so that's really what got me to thinking about uh, that and the themes that I touched upon in, in the other episodes and some conversations I had with with some of my friends. And that prompted me to read a section from my book. Uh, again, my book is Moon in Full, A Modern Day Coming of Age Story. It's my memoir uh, for, uh, covering my years from ages baby zero <laughs> to 21 and uh, my story of, of being born into a Cambodian refugee family, being put in foster care, moving around in foster families and foster care in rural Maine, being adopted by a white rural evangelical family, working class. Um, And, you know, I got a job the minute I turned 14 because I really wanted a cell phone. And my dad was like, well, 
you, you know, we're not paying for it, but you can get a job. Uh, and so he got me uh, connected to his old high school friend who worked at the restaurant at Point Sobago. And that's when I got a job cleaning the restaurant with the janitor that was there who was a really older gentleman. And uh, that was my first job. And, and the next job I had was Abishan Hardware, which was uh, pretty cool to work at. Had a really great, great uh, first boss, Mr. Zarecki, who and, and met a few other people that I really developed good relationships with. Uh, a guy named Gerald who had German Shepherds and, and worked in the back shop and uh, a few of the floor, uh, floor people. And so... Um, I wanted to read uh, an excerpt from my book about work, and this is about the time when I transitioned to Hannaford uh, Supermarkets and was working the register there. And so this is on page 125 if you have my book and you want to take a look at it later, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this excerpt here. Once we clocked in, we immediately started bagging, cashing out customers, and retrieving carts. We all became parts of a machine, and I despised it. It seemed monotonous and such a bore, lacking anything fulfilling, except for the times when a customer would wait in my line to get some good old-fashioned customer service. As a cashier, I could engage in one-on-one -on -one conversations. I took an interest in people and their lives, and they noticed it. The company had goals to meet and it imposed on the cashiers a standard rate at which they were to ring items. Something fast, I remember. And even made it into a competition. My ring rate was the slowest because, again, I loved customer service and I was too polite to tell a person that I couldn't chit-chat. I was, in fact, taken aside a few times by the shift leader and told that I needed to raise my ring rate which I would do for the next week while practically throwing customers' groceries down the register's belt. But eventually, I couldn't avoid focusing more on the customer rather than speed, and my ring time would drop again. It's rather dehumanizing for all parties involved, cashier and customer alike. Smile, ask if they found everything okay, ring the items through, accept their payment, and wish them well on their way. The cashier is expected to provide satisfactory customer service within the confines of clear guidelines and goals established by those higher up in the chain. Companies like this also deliberately engineer the store layout to funnel customers in and maximize sales. For instance, the grocery chain where I worked was a subsidiary of a larger corporation that owned other grocery chains up and down the East Coast. A major initiative of theirs was to standardize each of the stores and all of their subsidiaries so that a person who shops at one of their stores in Maine will still feel a sense of home in another grocery chain belonging to the same corporation in Florida. Folks barely give this dehumanization a thought because both the laborer and the customer are bombarded by the expectations and stresses of capitalism and consumerism. Laborers are pitted against each other in what companies deem healthy competition. With such creative ploys as Employee of the Month, competitions to figure out who is the most productive. Companies distribute rewards, bonuses, and salary increases to those who, according to quantitative standards, surpass their peers. It's degrading. 
One of the trickle-down effects of unfettered capitalism is that positive attributes like work ethic and personal responsibility are twisted into a form of manipulative subjugation. Those who cry out for living wages are urged to work a little harder. But how can you, if you can't afford wholesome food, basic health care, and everything else you need for good mental, physical, and emotional health? I see this especially today, as I'm sure you do as well, when it comes to COVID-19. During the pandemic, Congress passed a number of measures to support American workers and families facing mass unemployment and economic hardship. People received stimulus payments, and those who were laid off or lost work were eligible for generous unemployment benefits. As the economy started to climb back and businesses started to reopen, it seems social media and the news exploded about a shortage of workers. That's when I started seeing memes, graphics that use images with an often exaggerated summary of an issue, saying that the unemployment benefits were making people stay at home, choosing to remain unemployed. I can understand to a degree why this may be cause for outrage for some, but one, the pandemic has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans decreasing the number of people in the workforce. And two, wages have not kept up with productivity and inflation. Instead of looking at why systemically the economy is failing American workers, we instead are playing blame the victim. Some will say that if you work hard, you will be rewarded with higher wages and then will be able to afford what you need. But with the cost of living rising much faster than wages, Workers struggle to afford even the basics of food, clothing, and shelter on poverty wages. While I am fortunate enough to have rented from the same landlord for many years and have enjoyed below market rent, I drive by for sale signs for houses nearing or exceeding half a million dollars, and for rent signs for one bedroom studios that go for $1,500 a month or more. I wouldn't be able to afford any of it if I decided to move. Even though I have a, a relatively good paying job and can consider myself middle class. So I can only imagine what frontline and essential workers are experiencing at this time. It's usually folks who live comfortably who reframe poverty as a moral defect, saying that someone who works hard and uses their money wisely will have what they need. They point their fingers at those who spend their limited funds on cigarettes and alcohol rather than pointing to the hamster wheel of systemic poverty. Is it a moral defect or a defect in the economic and social systems that the working class and working poor need a couple of jobs just to make ends meet? They are tired. They have less and less time to spend with their families, less time for self-care, and even less time to be engaged with what is going on in their communities, their states, and their nation, as if they are merely machines. When people are isolated and segregated, or we are more susceptible to economic, political, and spiritual exploitation. Instead, we can choose to come together as part of the human tribe to uphold the dignity and value of each human being. And so that is an excerpt from my book, 
pages 125 to 127. And I think it, it really ties together sort of the thoughts that I've been having as I was editing this book and getting ready to publish in the middle of the pandemic. And it also, um, excuse me, uh, it also uh, ties together some of the themes that were in the first two episodes about modernity and, and work, life balance, and, and taking care of yourself and self-care because it's really hard to do that, especially if you're in the working class and the working poor and even people in the middle class because one, once you reach the middle class, there's the, the expectation and, and sort of demand to maintain a lifestyle that is and can be unhealthy. You know, you got to have this nice car. You got to have a nice house. You got to have a white picket fence. You got to row your, your lawn and rake your leaves and, and hire the, the, the landscapers to take care of all that. And then you got to do child care and daycare and, and, and trips to, to, to the doctor, all those types of things that, that once you make it into the middle class, that there's a stand, that standard of living then can become a toxic standard of living. And so for the working poor and the working class specifically, I think that it weakens the ability of, 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 of the working class and working poor to, to advocate for themselves, to, to make their voices heard, uh, when all they're doing is working and when those those work environments are set up in a way that doesn't allow workers to uh, get to know each other and to build camaraderie and to build relationships and to to uh, uh, be be in community and and by no means I don't consider myself a socialist I think that this is just a, a democratic way of looking at society and work and and a progressive way of looking at it and and a more humane way of looking at it so i think that at the at its basic level is just humane living and humane treatment of of people and so with workers being uh you, i think you all remember the 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 rule that they have at companies and and especially the big companies you know that you're you're not supposed to quote unquote fraternize with with fellow employees and workers, and you're not to, to supposed to make friends with fellow employees and workers. And I always thought that was problematic of management styles these days, where they front it as sort of like, oh, we just don't want drama at work. We just don't. We just want to be productive and 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 put out the goods and put out the services. But what that does is it dehumanizes people. The minute they step into the, the door, they're asked to provide superficial customer service, while at the same time, they're not allowed to get to know their fellow coworkers. They're not allowed to listen to their stories and, and, and get to know them in a way that builds and fosters inclusion and, and equity and, and, and truly taps into the power of diversity because no one nobody knows each other and no one is allowed to know each other and, and people are scared away from getting to know each other. I remember when I was working as a high school kid, sort of, I, I loved going to work because I knew at least at the hardware store and at Point Sebago resort, because I knew that I wasn't just a cog in the machine. Sure. I had to, 
you know, at the hardware store at least, you know, uh, pile the bags of cement and and clean up the aisles and, and organize the nuts and bolts, which sometimes drove me crazy because uh, they were sometimes a mess. Um, and and clean the bathrooms and, and what have you. But there was downtime that allowed me to talk with my other coworkers, to joke around, to, to do pranks, to get to know each other, to to talk about life and talk about our experiences. And yes, there was drama, but that's, you know, that's part of being human and, and being human at work. And so I think work has just devolved into, and, and hopefully the pandemic is changing this a little bit, but work has just devolved into, you know, you, you show up, you, you work, you quote unquote, put out your best self, your most productive self, you, you write those emails, you punch those numbers, you, you put in that data, you, uh, you, you know, you do all these, these tasks and these things and, and it can really mess with your psyche and your soul when it's impressed upon you that that's all you're supposed to be doing in that space in, on the employer's property. You are just there to work. You're not to, there to be in community or to, to get to know anyone or to, to build relationship. And, and so I think that th by reading this excerpt and, and by, by uh, throw, throw, a throwback to when Kim Kardashian uh, made that statement and, and talking about modernity and how it's really... It, I think it really messes us up as human beings that perhaps we can approach work in a different way that we're not just there to produce and to be productive, but we're there to make a difference in other people's lives, to be a part of other people's lives, to be in community, to build relationships, to get to know them. And, and thus get to know the world and the state that it's in and the, the very deep needs of the world to heal, of, of our communities to heal. And, and when we work into that, you know, good paying jobs that allow for, for hopefully one good paying job so that you have time to take care of your family, you have time to be civically involved and engaged, to vote, to go to uh, council and, and public hearings and and to to go to the baseball games, coach your baseball team, or and and all those different types of things that that really help to strengthen the fabric of a society, the fabric of a democracy, democratic society. I think that's what we've been losing is connection to each other, and social media, as 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 good as it can be when it in terms of instant connection and instant sort of flipping open your phone and you know what your aunt is doing across the world or you're knowing what your uncle is doing um, down south uh, in Florida or you know what Grammy Jane is doing up in Aroostook or sorry, the county. That's a county in Maine if you're listening from out of state. And being able to, 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 to do a FaceTime video or to do Zooms and all those different things and to find people that you went to high school with 
instant connection and instant connection isn't necessarily uh, relationship building and cultivation. And so we got to remember that as human beings, where we find fulfillment and where we do our best work and, and we are our most quote unquote productive selves, not only in terms of economics, but in, 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 in terms of society and, and the human condition is when we are building relationships with each other, when we are in community with each other, when we are thinking about the common good together, when we are, are dreaming and visioning the future together and, and having those hard conversations, having those dialogues, having those debates, having those discussions about what do we want our community to look like? What do we want for our families for our, our, our schools and, and our religious institutions and our educational institutions. What do we want in the public realm? And how do we want sort of the business sectors and the nonprofit sectors to work within the public realm and, and, and the libraries, the universities, the town halls, the uh, <laughs> uh, public transportation, for instance. So, I think that is what gets lost when people are forced by the systems and by the economic systems and the economic times to work one, two, three jobs. Or if they're working one job, they're still going to job the, the work and they're just there to be productive. They're just there to get the work done. They're just there to, to glue to the screens or glue to their papers and files and folders and, you know, have, you know, have, have a cup of coffee and have some small talk, but there's no deep engagement. There's no depth. There's no going under the surface to really dig up. What are our hopes and dreams? What are our our, our long-term visions for not just ourselves and our families and our successes and our careers, but together as a community, as people living in the same general area, in the same geography, the same state, even in the same country, how do we move forward and have the time and the capacity to do so and the mental health and the emotional and mental space to do so and to not be bogged down by the expectations of people higher up in the chain. There has to be more of a balance. I'm not saying that we should shift completely to a system where people just, it's anarchy, but I think there's gotta be a balance. There's got to be a solution where work becomes more human, becomes a more human-friendly environment, becomes more humane, becomes more family-friendly, becomes more employee-friendly, shall I say. And so that's my soapbox for today. I uh, don't really have much more else to add to that, but um, thank you. 
uh, for listening. And uh, again, if you want to pick up a copy of my book, it's Moon in Full, a modern day coming of age story. It's available on Island Port Press, Amazon, at print, print a bookstore in downtown Portland on Congress Street, Sherman's Bookstore, and Mockingbird Bookshop, and at your local bookstore. So make sure to grab a copy. Hey, this is Marfine. Thanks for tuning in to the third episode of Soft Spoken, a podcast. As a reminder, you can follow me and find me at Marfine Chan on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or MarfineChan.com. And uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform. And that's a wrap. So I'll see you next week.